just past 7 o'clock. And what do you know? It's time for Ira on Sports 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Going to be a great show for you tonight. And Ira, the NFL seems to be winding down. Just one game to go. we got to wait two weeks for it. But you were all in on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers before the season started. I hope you put money on it because you were absolutely right in this case. And not only on before the season started, but in the middle when they lost the Chiefs and then when there was like three losses in a row, um, it's almost played out perfectly how I thought it was going to happen. <laughs> I was at the game in Tampa. I saw Tampa play Kansas City. And then I'm listening today and people are like, oh, I don't want to see Brady in the Super Bowl and I don't want to see Kansas City. This is epic. This is what we. This is what I live for. Sports. I. It's to see Jack Nicholas play Tiger Woods when Jack Nicholas is like forty some years old and, Jack, and Tiger's twenty three coming in. This is when you saw when I saw. I remember where I was at when Michael Jordan played Magic Johnson. Like I wish LeBron played Michael Jordan. Like you want to see the greatest of all time, who someone who think is going to be the greatest of all time, play when they're both playing well. This is perfect. I'm so excited for this game. It was a great weekend, and I can't wait to talk about the Super Bowl. And- one of my favorite guests, he's uh, CBS's Andrew Catalan. If we're not familiar with Andrew, tell us about him. He's a regular on the show. Yeah, he does one of the uh, broadcasts every week for uh, CBS. He covers the Dolphins a lot. So we're going to talk about the, the teams, the final four of these teams, and certainly get some information on you know where the Miami Dolphins are going to go, where Deshaun Watson, the Jets, a lot of these questions, because definitely the offseason is moving quickly already <laughs> in the NFL as, as the in-season is going fast also. Yeah, I mean, yeah, coaches are flying around. Quarterbacks might be flying around soon. So uh, we'll talk about all that and more tonight on Iron Sports. Let's get right into it because we are short for time. Um, Tampa Bay went to Green Bay. I have been betting against Tampa this entire time, and I guess I'm kind of the fool here. But talk about how we got here. And, and you've made the case in the show that Aaron Rodgers could be overrated. And we're starting to see maybe that is the truth, especially when it comes to the playoffs. When I'm, when I'm right... And it happens. It's like so great because some people say I'm never right. But on this one, I'm totally right. But it's also because I can remember. The thing is, I have a very good memory. So I can think when I watch these games that happen where I not only do I remember the games, I remember where I was watching, what bar I was in, if I was at the game, what I've seen. And I have seen Aaron Rodgers be average in the playoffs. This is the Aaron Rodgers we saw 24 hours ago is the Aaron Rodgers that we saw before. And then when they didn't go on fourth down, I said, there's his built-in excuse. And it's like, now it's we got the excuse Monday for Aaron Rodgers because his coach, Matt LaFleur, on fourth down, kicked the field goal, which was idiotic. Inexcusable. It's just stupid, but it doesn't, neg- doesn't negate the fact that Aaron Rodgers had the ball three times in the, in the fourth quarter and scored three points. Three points and three times. And who got down in the first half and who got beat by a 43-year-old quarterback when he's at home. This is the same Aaron Rodgers that lost Eli Manning. People say, oh, he's at home. He, he lost to Eli Manning in 2011 when they were the number one seed at 15-1 record. And they and they were they, they, they lost 37-20 to 20 at home. He lost to Kaepernick twice, 45-31 in San Francisco. Then he lost at home again to Kaepernick the next year, uh, 23-20 when he had four sacks. And then he lost to Russell Wilson. He he, he lost to Carson Palmer in, yeah. uh, in Arizona when he lost a game in there. And then he goes and gets, he was down 24 nothing to Matt Ryan and lost to Atlanta. And then again, Jimmy G last year, I'm wearing the shirt. This is the shirt. I was at that <laughs> game. He's down in that game. This is, this is who Aaron Rodgers is. 
Aaron Rodgers is, I mean, everyone's yelling about Drew Brees. I hear the whole week, oh, Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers, great in the whatever, they put stats up. But that's who Aaron, Aaron Rodgers is a more glorified Drew Brees, if you're saying that. And Drew Brees has the same amount of titles as Aaron Rodgers has. But to put Aaron Rodgers in the same class as Montana and the same class in Brady is ludicrous. It's ludicrous because he does not elevate his game. He's, and I would even not put him in the same cast as Manning because I think Manning's regular season records are, are, are the same as, and Manning won two times was to, to, at three Super Bowls. Aaron Rodgers said, this is the thing about Brady. Brady has now won the NFC Championship one time. In his first year, Brees only won it one. Aaron Rodgers won it one. And they played 20 years in the 25 NFC. 25 totally. <laughs> and they won it one. I mean, and 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 Brady goes to the NFC after not – and then goes and doesn't have any uh, OTAs, uh, training camp, nothing. Players are coming in. Antonio Brown's being signed in the middle. He puts it all together. This team hasn't made the playoffs in 14 years. It wasn't even made the playoffs. Comes in and suddenly they're in the Super Bowl. And, and again, you cannot put Aaron – Rodgers in the same sentence that Tom Brady or Joe Montana. You can't even mention it. And this is exactly who Aaron Rodgers is. This it was him. This was just a, a quarterback that just did enough to win, stay in the game, whatever. But he does not elevate his game in the playoffs. And you saw what Tom Brady was in the, when the when the mattered the most. I know he threw the three interceptions, but boy, Mike Evans is Jameis Winston. I totally apologize for criticizing him. Those three interceptions. I every time you throw the ball, well, Mike Evans, it's a it's an interception waiting to happen because he will not <laughs> knock the ball down and cause the interception. He loves to tip him up. He just tips it up. <laughs> and then the one time he threw it was like running around like a center fielder, not knowing where the ball is. It's ridiculous, but. The fact is, Tom Brady played fantastic in that first half. He played fantastic in the fourth quarter when he had to win the game and in uh, and, and the last drive. And that's what, and but then of course, Matt Lafleur was terrible. And there's other things, aspects about this we're going to go into. But again, it comes down to what I said about Aaron Rodgers and what I say about Tom Brady. Tom Brady is the coach. When Bruce Arians turned the playbook, everything to let Tom Brady just run it, and he ran it perfectly. He's the best coach you could have on the field. Let's uh, let's talk about the game here. I run Sports Truldy Channel. Andrew Catalan joining us in just about 15 minutes. So let's get into the game, Ira, because this was one where I kind of felt after that first drive by Tampa Bay that Green Bay was going to be in trouble. Well, it was because, remember, I was at the game against Kansas City, and we've been talking about Tampa Bay not converting on third downs because they're throwing, they're trying to do 40-yard passes every third down. But they converted on third and four to Evans, the third and nine to Godwin, and then Fournette dropped a pass, but on third and seven, a perfect pass to Evans for a touchdown, made it 7 nothing. Yeah. And then, in the, in the tone was set in the, the next drive that the Packers had, because that's where Rodgers was sacked. If you notice in these playoffs, Rodgers doesn't throw interceptions, but he does get sacked, and Shaq Barrett, I mean, that's the pressure they put on him. And when you just get sacked, then it puts him out, and suddenly third and fives becomes third and 15s and then they were forced to punt and now the Buccaneers got the ball back and I thought they were going to run this is the only thing I missed about this game is that Fournette and Jones were going to just run it down the Packers throat but they didn't they were they were they were they were held up a lot but uh, that's where the only sack of the game was and the Buccaneers were forced to punt it was it was like in the beginning of the first quarter uh but then the Packers come down there and that was they sacked Rodgers again, but it was they went from third and 15, and they got a huge pass. They, it was like they were on the five-yard line. I'm like, wow, this is a chance for the Bucks to really take over this game. But then they threw the 50-yard pass, Rodgers to Valdez, Scantling, 7-7. I mean, it was what's interesting about that game is there was really each team only had the ball two times the entire quarter. Mm-hmm. So it was like that was the point, made it 7-7. And there was some, you know, Brady had the interceptions, but also Godwin dropped the ball, Fournette dropped the ball, Evans dropped the ball, but uh, he made that great pass. Godwin drops a ball, and then that great 52-yard pass where he just throws it up there and Godwin caught it. And then Fournette, when he ran it in, that's what I was waiting that was for. That a heck of a run. That was a great run to make it 14-7. And then, the, then I think this was, if you want to define what the game was, 
15-play, 70-yard drive in the second quarter, 7 minutes and 25 seconds, almost the half the quarter. They go down, they convert third down on without a shanning. They were the best. They got first and goal on the Tampa Bay 6. First down, Adams drops a touchdown ball, but it was behind him a little, but they, mm-hmm. that they should have catched it. I mean, this is second down. That's when Leonte David put his hand up and blocked Rodgers' pass. And then on third down, the back of the end zone, he was just a slight. This again, Rodgers was like in a second slow over the ball. It would have been a touchdown, but it's behind it. They were forced to then kick a field goal, make it 14-10. But that should have been 14-14. You've got to match this team. Don't go down 14-10 like they only get a field goal. And then uh, then the Bucs, I think, you know, again, I was rooting for the Bucs so much. I don't think, I think rooting for more than the Steelers. And uh, that's where the drive was stalled on the 47 and they punted. And then that's just like the end of the first half. The Packers get the ball with 2.17 left. And this is, this is like the timeout. You know, do you call a timeout? Like they're backed in their own territory. So it's all this question is who wants to call a timeout? But then suddenly they get a first down. It was third and six. I'm like, wow, they're going to score here. They're going to take the, like a 17-14 lead. And then Murphy's bunning, interception on, on Rodgers. That was so key. And then the Buccaneers had the ball on the 50-yard line with 30 seconds left. And this is where the greatness of Brady because they go two incomplete passes. So it's fourth and three. He's ready to go off the field. And I like how Bruce Arians say, wait a second, there's 13 seconds left. It's fourth and three. We got to be aggressive. Let's go for mm-hmm. it. So they went for it on fourth down and then they went for it on fourth down, got the first down to, to Fournette. So they, it wasn't the people forget the Scotty Miller pass was this next play. They Fournette gets the first down and then he throws to Scotty Miller with no time left on the clock for that 40 yard touchdown. Crazy. Horrendous defense to be in the wrong defense. And they're like, well, Green Bay, they call it, they called it bad defense. It was, but, but Brady took advantage of it and that pass was perfect and Scotty Miller was. great. You can't and, let that guy behind you. And though. right behind him and made it 21-10 and that was really, so Brady in the first half I mean I'm getting texts, people were texting, my cousin was saying Brady should retire, he's terrible and like 202 yards, two touchdowns, 13 for 22. <laughs> I mean they've had five drives, they had three touchdowns, I mean they look like Alabama on offense, five drives, three touchdowns and the Packers had five drives and only had one touchdown and one field goal and but in that in that case the Bucks were 7-10 and 10, 10 from first down and they were 1-1 on one fourth down but you're, you're feeling good like the Buccaneers did what they had to do but of course they're playing Aaron Rodgers, so I'm like I'm still nervous. I mean, you know what? Aaron Rodgers can just put tough points on the board, but I like the fact that first half was I did not want Brady to be playing from behind, so at least he was up by 11. Absolutely. I run sports, true oldie channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. So l- let's go to the second half here. I'm like you. After that bomb uh, to Scotty Miller to kind of close out the first, I'm thinking... I don't, I don't know if Green Bay has what's in the tank to, to come back here, and it turned out we were right on that. Well... Jordan, so the next play, Baggers get a ball, they throw it to Aaron Jones, and Jordan Whitehead, who in the first half had hit Aaron Jones, and Jared Jones fumbled, and then he does the same exact play mm-hmm. and forces a fumble, and of course, that's a disaster when you fumble, because Devin White, who I think is, I cannot believe Devin White has not been an all-pro team. He, is, he had 14 tackles this game, he had 14 tackles the game before, all he does is tackle, make plays, he's tremendous. He picked the ball, went up to the six, and then the first play after that, Brady to break, touchdown. Not messing around him, there they convert in, a, in the, so they're up 28-10, but it's really, you know, they only scored three points the rest of the game. So it's 28-10 in the beginning of that. But then there you have the Packers, and that's what made me nervous because the Packers go down eight play, 75-yard drives, 426. They go down. It just seemed like the, the Buccaneers' defense just melted away on that one time. And then um, then the, the, the Bucs then, it was... 
that's when Brady threw that terrible interception. He was trying to go to Evans. Uh, it was it was a bad pass. But that's where Evans, it was like a, one of those like punt passes. But that's where I think Evans should have broke it up. Like he saw where the pass was. But they, they were lucky that it went to the Green Bay 32, their own 32. There wasn't the long returns. You saw in these playoffs when somebody returns the ball, when the Bills took over Lamar Jackson and returns, but like mm-hmm. it wasn't a return. So every interception that Brady threw didn't put the position, didn't give the Packers great field position. So they're almost like punts. But the Packers went down and uh, they go 13 plays, 68 yards, uh, forced it first and goal in the Tampa Bay two, and then they threw a touchdown, Rodgers to Adams for a touchdown. And then this was weird. So it's 20, so that made it 28, uh, 28, 23. And I don't understand why they went for two there. Like it's it's the beginning of the fourth quarter. Like go for the. I, I would just kick the field goal because you know that if they score, if Tampa scores a field goal, they're up then seven. But by going for two, you put them in now. When now when they kick the field goal, they went up eight. And that was the, that was the first stupid move. Why would you then when you're only down? Like it made sense to go. They don't get they don't get the the, the two point conversion, so they left at twenty eight twenty three. And then the Buccaneers drove down. And the pass again, another Brady pass. They're driving in territory. They're moving the ball well. And again, right off of Evans, he tips the ball up. I mean, he's should be a volleyball player. Like, why would you dip the ball up like that? Tip it down. Yes. So there's 12.30 left in the game. The Packers have the ball. So this is where, this is where it's at. It's, Brady's just thrown two interceptions. It's 12.30 left in the game. Tampa's only up five points. And what is it? The Packers have the ball, ready to go, ready to score, ready to do what they have to do. Third and five, Rodgers is sacked. Shaq Barrett and Pierre Paul forced to punt. Buccaneers get the ball. And then what does he do? He uh, he uh, he throws a, another, another interception. So it's third interception. But again, that was way back down there. So Packers again have the ball again another sack another three and out another punt this, this is what the Packers had the game in their hand this is Aaron Rodgers like you're down five two times they had a chance to go do that and then the key part of the game and I, I think one of the plays that I've heard no one talk about so the Buccaneers are totally reeling on offense interceptions left and right Brady's falling apart but then he throws to Godwin for 11 yards and that passed to Gronkowski oh it was like they they it was like two people that had played for it was like a husband and wife who married 65 years yeah. like Gronk went one way Brady didn't even look like he knew exactly what was going to happen it's like they weren't even looking at each other they just ran it was a perfect play and Gronkowski goes down 29 yards to the 30 now again that they weren't able to get another first down but on that third down play what does Brady do Brady just throws the ball he says says I gotta stay in field goal range field goal range they kick the field goal make up 31-23 so instead of being but of course it was 31-23 Four, if they would have gone for it, but I think that was what a great play by Brady, and, and then with the pass to Bronk was great, and then uh, the, the Packers easy drive right down the first and goal on the eight, and this is the the play that everyone's be watching. They have first and goal on eight, they they're down eight, uh, four minutes left, and and Rogers to Lazard it was incomplete. Then Rogers to Adams was incomplete. Adams got to get his feet down there. Yeah. He's too good of a receiver to not get either feet in on that play. I, I mean, right here's Rod Adams who has 125 receptions a year, so all the touchdowns is like this. When you're gonna make the play. I mean, sometimes we talk about quarterbacks and pressure. Adams did not make the catches he had to make. People, the Swan and Stallworth are in the Hall of Fame. Swan and Stallworth caught in their careers maybe like one quarter of the passes yeah. Adams has. <laughs> but because the people remember in the Super Bowl that Swan and Stallworth made those amazing catches in this. When you make Santonio Holmes in the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. you remember the great catches in the playoffs. Jerry Rice, uh, Dwight Clark. I mean, those you don't remember Adams, <laughs> those, whatever. But then when they ran out, so it's now. But then on the third down when. Should Rod? I should have. He should have ran in. I thought he, he had that. Ran in. I thought he should have ran in. I thought it was a mistake, and they're like giving excuse. And then to kick the field goal there was, in it was just ridiculous because you're thir- it's thirty one twenty three. I would have still gone for it if you worst case scenario. There's two minutes left, and the and say you just on fourth down you go you don't get it. 
the worst case scenario, the Buccaneers have the ball on the eight, and you have three timeouts. You're, you're going to have to pin them down anyway. Three timeouts, and you have the two-minute warning. So why not go for it then? And even if you go for it and score and have to get a two-point conversion, you still then can kick a field goal to win the game. It just I've never seen a team play. Like, I was shocked. Like, they ran out for a field goal. I'm like, am I stupid? And then I didn't realize, and I didn't think who was broadcasting the game. They didn't, like, say, this is ridiculous. No, they didn't say anything they, It was, like, crazy about how that was going to happen. It's Romo. And um, then, and he, yeah, he didn't just bash him about it. And I thought that was that was it, for me. If it, even if it's nine points and not eight, it was Aikman. Aikman I know. It, no, yeah, but even if it's nine points, I'm still going for it. But when it's eight points and you can literally tie the game here, and you don't go for it, that just makes absolutely no sense to me. And then, and then we talked about this in the Cleveland game. I said why any team would ever call a challenge or a timeout in the second half for any reason whatsoever is ludicrous. You have to preserve it. You need the timeouts. You, you need them. And that's what, luckily, they had three timeouts. Mm-hmm. And that then you saw the games. It was really gamemanship because what the, what the Buccaneers were trying to do when they returned the kickoff, the Mickens was told to fall down after the two-minute warning, so it would hit the two-minute yeah. warning. But he fell down too early, mm-hmm. so that actually gave Another them like stop. an extra yeah. extra stop. And then then the Brady threw to Evans for nine yards. And then what you see what the Packers do is they let them they go off sides and get the first down. People say, well, why the Buccaneers were stupid for taking the play? But I think you have to in that situation get the first down. I'd rather have the first down than the second and one. Like I thought that I thought it was good they did not decline the penalty. And then Fournette had two great runs. It's third and four. And then the play was the Tyler Johnson and clearly you saw the jersey being held I, I, I people say they weren't calling it they, look I realize they were letting them play but you can't hold a person's jersey like that that's ludicrous and it, it was a pass interference yeah it is a pass interference but I let that one go <laughs> <laughs> I, would not. I don't know why. It's just I'd seen other plays like that during the game that were let go. So it's kind of like you know ticky tack in my opinion. But it's, it was a penalty. At first, I thought God, uh, Johnson faked it, but then when I see the jersey, like the the jersey was like ten feet behind it. Like yeah. he was holding the jersey, like you're trying to. It was like crazy. Like the jersey, I couldn't believe it didn't break away. It was so. It was stretched. a really late flag too. I think if it, the flag wasn't so late, the flag was earlier. I don't know what the flag yeah. took so long. To but come out you know, uh, if you notice, the side judge came over and picked the flag up. So I'm thinking, okay, now they're saying it's not but then immediately they said it was a penalty right and then they uh and then the then they had the t- the pass to godwin to seal the game but everyone is again rogers had the ball all i'm going to say is rogers got down 21 10 in a game that he should have been up and then in the third quarter he had the ball three times they punted twice and then they got down there and and again at the end of the first half he went first goal to go they kicked a field goal and then in the second half and he's all mad and, and rogers is furious and then again it's like I, I didn't even like your response. Like he's, he's, he's devastated by the loss. But instead of criticizing the coach and decision to say, look, I didn't, I, don't, I was more amazed that he didn't say, it. look, it's on me. I got to do better. Like I don't I, expect him to ever say that. I don't expect <laughs> him, but I think that Brady, I think a lot of other quarterbacks yeah, would. would have done that. And I think that it's more like, well, it's not my decision with the coach and it's not my play call. It's not what this. And they ask him, he would have said, well, I, I got to call the third down play, but if I knew we weren't going to go on fourth, I wouldn't have done that. You know, it's like LaFleur was bad, but Rodgers, you're supposed to be so great and you got to win this game. And that's the same reason, like, you have excused this game, but what about all those other games when you lost Eli and Kaepernick and all these guys? What excuses? You cannot just keep giving this guy excuses and think you're going to be... Michael Jordan doesn't have excuses. You can't be the greatest of all time and have excuses. You're absolutely right. I run Sports Drew Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. About four minutes from now, we'll get to uh, Andrew Catalan of CBS Sports. Um, let's talk just a little bit of Buffalo KC before we get to uh, Andrew, because... This game was a little bit depressing if you're a Bills fan, but if you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan, you got to feel pretty good about not only the offense but the defense right now. Well, I think what 
you know, the, just the, I want to jump back one, one, one second to the game. Sure. What I was surprised about was that Tampa Bay couldn't run the ball. And I, it, it did not run as well as I thought, even though Fournette had some, because they only they had like um, 76 yards rushing, but Cream Bay only had 67 yards rushing. So I was surprised both sides they didn't. And the fact that, uh, you know, they each threw 200 yards for Brady, 346 for Rodgers, but it was the five sacks that Rodgers I thought was a key, where Brady only was sacked one time. But again, it's like the catches, what Brady was great at, we talked about before, Godwin had five catches, 110 yards, Evans three for 51, but Scotty Miller, two catches, but each catch was important. Uh, Gronkowski, that one catch. Brait was the catch. Tyler Johnson, a catch. It was all these smart plays. And you got to give credit to Pierre. Paul on defense with the two sacks. Shaq Him Barrett for the two Barrett, sacks. Yeah. And Devin White with the 15 tackles. And I thought that's what that's what made the difference. And and I want to segue then to the Buffalo game is because you really were hoping Buffalo could run the game. And Buffalo could not run. They could run last week and they can't run this week. And if Buffalo doesn't get... They have to have more running game than Josh Adams just running the ball. It, it was you knew it was a state of emergency when TJ Yeldon gets the majority of the carries. TJ Yeldon was on a practice squad three weeks ago, and they decided against um, Zach Moss is hobbled, but Devin Singletary obviously can't get the job done there. So if you're in the conference championship and you got to bring in practice squad guys to run the ball, you're not in good shape in the running game, and we knew that going in. Well, I think and then the key play was they went on fourth and one in the first play with the Bills, fourth and one on the forty. I'm like, okay, they're being aggressive, but then on fourth and three in the KC thirty three. Go for it again. Don't kick a field I, I goal. I agree with you. And we talk about you got to score touchdowns against Kansas City. If you think kicking field goals is going to win games, you're not going to win games. They're not playing Joe Flacco when the Ravens <laughs> and whatever. I mean, really, you have to go for it. And then the Chiefs get the ball, and and, 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 and Tyreek Hill dropped a wide-open touchdown pass of one of the few mistakes he would ever have. They punted it. And then the Bills get the ball, and they, they, they get snacked. I mean, it was a, a mess. But then when Hartman fumbles the ball, <laughs> the one-yard line, which you cannot have. But, I mean, I think the Chiefs are the only team that can make mistakes like that. And, like, oh, that's okay. We're down 9 yeah. nothing Because they've been Hartman down. Hartman made up for it, too. They, yeah. They've been down last year in the playoffs. They were down to Tennessee, two touch to 10 nothing. They were down to Houston, 24, 24 to Houston. <laughs> it's like It's like that's what they feel comfortable. It's like they don't want to be up. They want to be down. And I think it's like, okay, now we're in the game. We're down 9 nothing But then, actually, the Bills missing that. They love kicking field goals, and they missed the, missed the extra point, like, to make it 9 nothing But then the 14-play drive, 80 yards, they march down. Do you realize that on that drive, they didn't even need a third down. Like, they were just, on 14 plays, they were just saying, first down, first down, first down the entire way. And and, uh, and then the first quarter, that's 9-7. And then what the Bills do, they punt again. And then the Chiefs, uh, that end around to Hartman, that 51-yard uh, play with that. And then Allen was really, Josh Allen was confused. The passes, I mean, he, he was lucky. He bad. He could have had three, four interceptions. I mean, there was plays where he threw where, where the Chiefs were dropping those passes. It, it, there was also, I mean, you know, they love to run like the little hitches and stuff like that to Beasley. And he's throwing them behind them and over them. You could tell that was not This was Josh, Josh Allen, Allen comfortable. two years ago, yeah. not Josh Allen of this year. And then three straight punts. And then you do that, and then you get, and then it was it was like Mahomes to Kelsey, Mahomes to Hill, Mahomes to Kelsey, twenty one nine, and then this is where it was. The Bills were completely outplayed the whole game. Then they get a twelve play, seventy three yard drive. It's fourth and two with the time running out in the first half. You're down twenty one nine. You have got to go for a touchdown there. A field goal is not going to do it for you. You can't just go for a field goal. Made it twenty one twelve, and then you go in the second half, and uh, the Chiefs they're allowed to kick field goals because they go down and kick a field goal, make it twenty four twelve. And then the Bills, though, they come down again, another field goal, 24-15. And then the Chiefs go and, you know, certainly make it 31-15. And really, at that point, the game was totally over. And, and the Bills, at the end, had that attempt where they tried to play 
it just like when it's thirty one fifteen, you just knew the game was finished and it was over, and the Bills made that. The only weird thing the Chiefs did is that, like Alabama against Florida. I mean, I have seen two successful onside kicks I think this year, and the two best teams made it. Uh, the Chiefs, gave, you know, gave up an onside kick with like zero and forty, over forty five. They do it, and then the Alabama did that. It's time to go to uh, Andrew Catalan of CBS. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us here on Iron Sports. Uh, Iris got a lot for you, but I've got something to start this off. So. I guess it was like a month ago, five weeks ago, I'm on my couch and I'm watching an NFC game, Andrew, and I hear your voice in going on doing the play-by-play. And I was like, what the heck is going on here? You did a great job like you always do, but I wanted to know, is it a little different for you procedure-wise doing an all-NFC game and also doing a game that was broadcast for Amazon? Yeah, well, guys, first of all, thanks for having me back on. I appreciate it. And yes, it is a little strange when you see teams that you don't, get to call regularly. I mean, I feel like I've built a pretty good rapport with a lot of the coaches and players in the AFC, and it's not that there's anything against the NFC, but as you know, on CBS, we predominantly see the AFC compared to the NFC. So the Amazon game was a really neat thing. I mean, it was something new and different, and um, I've seen Arizona. I had them against the Dolphins, actually, which was a great game earlier this year, and I also have had San Francisco in the past, so it, it wasn't like they were strangers to me, but... The whole experience was unique, and then who knows what the NFL decides to do with an Amazon type going forward, but it was nice to be a part of it. Well, you sound just as good doing an NFC West game as you do an AFC, so great job, Andrew. I appreciate that. What do you got, I? Well, I guess, Andrew, thanks a lot for coming on. Um, it's amazing that coaches now, it, it used to be when it's fourth down, you punt the ball, and and when you go, when you score a touchdown, you kick an extra point. But it seems like the two-point conversion has totally confused the coaches now because they're certainly going for it. We're not going for it, and those have become the questions. And now the going for not going for it on fourth down has become the issues. I guess when you're talking to these coaches, is it is this something that's coming up? Because clearly Matt LaFleur, Sean McDermott is being criticized for their decision-making, whether they go for a field goal or go for it on fourth down, or clearly the two-point conversions. No, that's a great point, Ira. And I think the game has changed first and foremost in many ways. But first of all, we're just seeing more points. I mean, I believe this is one of the highest scoring seasons in NFL history. And I think that kind of changes the whole I'll just go for the extra point, uh, you know, specific to the Bills game yesterday. You know, they, they couldn't settle for field goals and expect to beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead. It just wasn't going to happen. And the other thing, too, is they, they really do rely on analytics a lot more, which, you know, I, I, I've warmed up to and I understand it. But I still think as a head coach, you need to go with your gut more times than not. And what is your gut telling you? And I know they all have a chart and they all get in their ear, oh, if you do this, it gives you a 20% better chance to, to win. I get all that. But there's times when you got to just listen to your heart, know your football knowledge and wisdom. And to me, like, you know, that was a perfect example in the Green Bay game yesterday. Maybe the analytics were closer, slightly better by – you know, what, with what LaFleur did. But, you know, you're down at the goal line. you got to score a touchdown. I would have just gone for it. I think a lot of people felt the same way. Yeah, in terms of what – in terms of Tampa Bay, the ability – you know, you've worked with these coaches throughout the year. I love how you – in fact, you talk to them. I mean, they really haven't had the practices. They haven't had everything get together. So the excuse building, Brady had to build an excuse. I don't have OTAs. I don't have training camp. I'm going to a brand new team. But to somehow galvanize this team as the season goes on without the practicing, that's almost more impressive than even his great throws that he throws in a game. I think we spoke about this, but teams that had continuity and veteran leadership 
were poised to be there at the end. And I think that really played out. I mean, in the end, the Bills, they have great leadership. They made it to the AFC Championship game. I, in your instance, Brady, yes, new team, new parts around them. But, you know, I just got the sense in, in following this team throughout the years, I'm sure you guys did as well, is that Brady had everything under control. And I think when people play with Tom Brady, there's a sense of calm, knowing that he's going to take charge and he is our leader. And I think that served well in a season like this where so much of practices, even during the season, were virtual and with Zoom meetings, and there wasn't a lot of practice time. I feel like you rely on your leaders in situations like this, and I think you got two great leaders that have made it to the Super Bowl. I mean, Patrick Mahomes certainly doesn't have the age of Brady, but he has quickly emerged as one of the better leaders in the NFL. And then going back to the, the Packers uh, game, at the, in that third quarter when, Brady, when Rodgers has the ball three times in that fourth quarter and then Shaq Barrett gets the sacks and Pierre Paul and the pressure, Devin White, I mean, Todd Bowles called a great game. I mean, it just it seemed like that's when the Buccaneers defense was able to stop Aaron Rodgers. And you're waiting for this classic Aaron Rodgers score two touchdowns, take over that fourth quarter, and that's when the Buccaneers defense came up strong. And Aaron Rodgers made, started to, wasn't as sharp as Aaron Rodgers is during the rest of the season. Yeah, you know, credit the Tampa Bay defense because I had that feeling, as I'm sure you did as well, that all right, Rodgers is going to come down the field and lead him to a victory. And you know, I hate going back to this. I know this has been a, a popular take today, but it's really not a second guess. It's a first guess. I mean, think about how many people got on the Packers back in the draft for drafting a quarterback in the first round. I mean, you think back to all of the available players that they had to pick from there that could have helped in a situation like yesterday, whether it be a receiver, whether it be a lineman or a linebacker on defense. And you look at the back at the draft and you think about the players that they could have had, and you can't help but wonder what kind of impact that could have made in yesterday's game. And I hate pointing back to that, but I think it's a valid point. And I think that's why so many people were critical of the Packers back during draft time. You've got a quarterback in his prime, one of the best of all time, give him some weapons to help him out for the playoffs, and they came up short in the end yesterday. And do you think when Aaron said, well, I don't know what my future is and those things, I mean, clearly he wants to be back with the Packers, and clearly the Packers want him back and, and make another run at this. I, I can't imagine this thing would just, be, just because they don't go in fourth down, uh, would blow up the entire situation in, in Green Bay. And, 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 of course, no one's seen Jordan Love. I, I don't even know if he was on the sidelines for the game. So I just think that, I mean, you, you, you're expecting the Packers to be back with Rodgers next year. It would be hard to see him in a different uniform. I do feel that there is some type of disconnect. I think it goes back to the draft when Rodgers you know, saw a quarterback get drafted. Whether or not that disconnect is big enough to create a separation, I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect that. But I also got to take with a grain of salt what a, someone says after an emotional loss in the NFC Championship game. So I know yesterday his words kind of got put out there as to say, oh, what's going on here? I think that after everybody takes a deep breath, they'll really, you know, figure out what's best. I would expect that he would be back, but, you know, you've seen a lot of quarterbacks, Tom Brady, go from New England to Tampa Bay. So I certainly wouldn't rule it out, but it's hard to picture him in a different uniform.
And then this, this switch gears to the Chiefs, I mean, their offense is amazing. We can talk about it forever, Tyreek Hill and, and Kelsey and Mahomes. But the defense to really, again, I, I was not sold on the Bills because they had no running game, but they but no one's been able to exploit that. No one's been able to take advantage of the fact that Bills had, but they were Tyron Matthew. They really were able to to stop the Bills. And, and how many times it was three and out and punting, doing those things to, to let the Bills, they were, they were out of the game. Yeah, I think some of that's the Bills. I mean, I, I do think Josh Allen was, you know, he had some high throws. He was a little jacked up. They didn't take advantage in the red zone. You know, those are things that the Bills, as you pointed out, did throughout the entire year, and, and it's why they made such a great run. Uh, but the Chiefs' defense did step up. They did make some plays. They applied some pressure on Josh Allen. Uh, they, they came up with a turnover in, in, a, in a big spot when the Bills were driving. Um, so I tip my cap to them. And, you know, I think the Chiefs are favored, you know, rightfully so in the Super Bowl. I, I, I have a hard time seeing the Tampa Bay defense slow down that Kansas City offense if it looks like it did yesterday against Buffalo. I don't think anybody can stop Kansas City's offense when they play like they did yesterday. And it's amazing because Clyde Edwards-Hilaire wasn't Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Le'Veon Bell was out of the game. Um, they have the four-string Williams or whatever, the, the other Williams. And then and they were down two, they were down one tackle and then another tackle. And still the offense is just, that's what's so amazing. I mean, I still, I picked Tampa Bay. I'm still picking them. But I guess your feeling is that Kansas City is just going to win their back-to-back Super Bowls then. Well, I mean, I don't think it's going to be a walkover. I, I think it's a great matchup. And I certainly think that the that the injury to Fisher, the tackle, the offensive tackle for the Chiefs yesterday is a big loss. They've had some big injuries up front. It just seems, though, when Patrick Mahomes is making plays like he did yesterday that they're almost impossible to stop. Now, I'm sure that Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles, who, as you pointed out, had a great game yesterday for Tampa Bay, I'm sure that they're going to come up with a great game plan. I expect this to be a good game. But I just see, I just see if the Kansas City's offense is rolling, it's just so it's so hard to stop them. I mean, they, they, when Mahomes is improvising like that, making throws underhand, sidearm on the run, I don't know what kind of game plan can stop that. We're talking to Andrew Catalan of CBS Sports. Uh, jumping gears in terms, of switching gears again to. The name, uh, we're down here in South Florida, in Miami, and we hear Deshaun Watson in the news. I don't know, if, did you do a Houston game this year? Uh, I'm not sure if you did, but uh, what... Yeah, I did it, I had him a few times. Oh, okay. What, did you sense that this, this? I mean, this friction, I mean, he had just signed the contract going into this year. I know they had a change of coaches during the year, but uh, certainly everything broke down at the end of the year, and, and to even think that uh, Deshaun Watson is the beginning of, the, of his contract, uh, 25 years old, 40 touchdowns, everything like that would then demand trade uh, i think it's still surprising considering that he just signed the contract a year ago yeah so i can't personally speak to you know doing their games and sensing any friction by any means i never got that impression but you read all the articles that have come out towards the end of the season and after the year about you know some of the problems in that building and and you know it's hard to ignore that uh, there's 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 some very good writers who have put together some there's some very intri- compelling stories and maybe that I believe there's probably some truth to it. Now, Deshaun Watson to me is a top five quarterback in the NFL. I mean, you've already uh, had some brutal trades if you're Houston. I mean, the, the, the DeAndre Hopkins trade look, looks bad. The Miami trade, as you guys know, you guys were rooting against them the whole year. That, that <laughs> looks bad. So, I mean, if you're going to trade Deshaun Watson, I mean, you've got to get uh, a big, big haul. But to me, that is the last thing you want to do with this guy. Not only is he a top-five quarterback, but he's an incredible guy in the community. 
community. He's a team leader. He's he's um he's everything you want for the face of your franchise. And those guys don't come around all the time. Trust me. So, you know, I, I would hope that Houston can figure out a way to mend the fence and, and keep him happy because to let him go, I think, you know, unless you're telling me you're getting something crazy in return, I think it would be a big mistake to cut bait with Deshaun. Yeah, and I'm thinking that if they hire Bami uh, or Leslie Frazier, who he talks about that he would prefer as a coach who's on the short list for those coaches, that, I mean, he doesn't interact with the general manager. I mean, you're a, you're a coach, as much as you talk to people in there, it, it seems like his interaction on a day-to-day basis would be the coach. If it's a good relationship with the coach, um, that should be enough to keep him there and keep him happy because how many, I mean, most players don't talk to the general managers on a daily basis. Yeah, and I think there's some truth to that. It just seems like it goes deeper than that if you read the Sports Illustrated article and some of the other things that have come out about it. It just seems like there's you know, some, some bigger issues right now in that building, and you hope they get it corrected because I've been in that stadium when they're winning games, and J.J. Watt has got the crowd going crazy, and Watson's making plays on the run, and that's a fun place to be when they're winning. But it, it was not this year, and they'll be the first to tell you that. And you know, They have a new general manager, as you point out, and he's obviously got a good pedigree coming from New England, but they got to hope that, that he can make everybody happy and and they've got salary cap problems. They don't have the draft pick in Miami. I think it's going to be a, a long haul uh, for Houston to get back on track. But I believe that you still got to do it with Deshaun Watson. And I want to give credit to that, I guess, the South Florida fans, because they really have a, re- a very level-headed approach to Tua. Like, they're sort of like, he was good, not great, whatever. But I mean, when you talk to fans, it's not like, oh, no, they're so, they're, they, don't, they, don't want to, they don't want to get rid of them, but they also are not, so they, they almost wait and see. Let's see what happens. Um, but do you think that the Dolphins themselves are going to have that patience, or is this if the right situation comes where they would trade to? I mean, I guess they would need Tua to trade for a Watson or whatever, but is this a situation where you think that they're going to go next year again with Tua and, uh, and, and try to, to give him the wide receivers that he needs and the linemen and everything like that? Yeah, so I still believe that Tua could be a very good quarterback in the NFL. I mean, in, in talking to Brian Flores and other people in Miami, I mean, everybody wants success right away, and it doesn't always happen that way. I mean, and you point out the weapons. I mean, there wasn't on that offense. There wasn't a ton of guys that were going out there. There's not. There's not a Stephon Diggs on that team. There's not a Tyreek Hill on that team. I think they got better throughout the year. I think Mike Kosicki has a chance to be a very good tight end. Devontae Parker can still be a, a good wide receiver, but, you know, they didn't, they ha- didn't really have a running back. Their offensive line was kind of in and out at times with injuries. I just think there was a lot for a lot going on offensively, and I believe that organization is going to preach patience. Brian Flores has said it as much that, you know, he's a guy that likes to develop players. He knows they're young. It was just such a strange situation because you had Ryan Fitzpatrick who was coming in and making plays. Otherwise, if it was – probably any other backup quarterback in the NFL, you wouldn't be thinking much about, well, what about this guy instead? It was just Fitz had a good year and, and made things happen when he got in there for the most part. So, you know, if you're telling me that, you know, the Dolphins are presented with a situation where they can get Deshaun Watson and have to include two in the trade, I, I, yeah, I can see that <laughs> happening. But other than that, I think that they're going to ride with Tua and, and try to get, get him some good players around him offensively to really help him out. 
And one quarterback, and I, my mom made a comment about this. He goes, Matthew Stafford. He goes, oh, that's the guy that plays on Thanksgiving. Like, <laughs> this Matthew Stafford's known to, from Detroit Lions is known just to play the one game of the year, and he doesn't really play the rest of the year, even though he certainly plays every 16 games. He's been doing it for, like, 11 years now. But I think he's the wild card. Certainly Detroit's now said we're going to give him, let him out. He's only owed $20 million a year, which is, for quarterbacks, not that much. He could be the difference maker for an Indy or for a New England. And what's your sense about Stafford and, and what team will, will want him the most and try to get him to the team? I think Indy makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, Frank Wright, to me, is one of the best coaches in the NFL. And if I was a quarterback, I would jump in a heartbeat to go play for him. Um, so I could definitely see the, the Matthew Stafford there now that Rivers has retired being a really good fit. I think Matthew Stafford needs to go to a, go to a team that's you know on the cusp of winning. I, I don't think, you know, I've heard Denver. You know, I wouldn't give up on Drew Locke just yet. Uh, I think that Drew Locke has a chance to still be a good quarterback. And I don't know if Matthew Stafford is going to be the one that takes Denver to a Super Bowl next year either. So, you know, I could see Indy being a really good fit. New England's a good possibility throughout their era. I mean, I, obviously they're in the quarterback market. Does Bill Belichick think that it's worth it to take a chance on Stafford? I mean, I think when you get Matthew Stafford on your team, you, you're going to get a veteran guy who knows how to play the position. He's very smart and still has a lot left in his arm. And I think he's going to be hungry. He's had so many losing seasons, as you point out, and, and this is a guy that wants a chance to try to make a run in the playoffs. So I would target Indy as a, as a really good match, but there's certainly going to be other teams that will be in the market for him as well. And one last question. Um We've covered Tampa Bay. We've covered Miami. we got another team down here in Florida. And I'm amazed. They're, the Jaguars, I start to see some Jaguar hats out. The Urban Meyer hat and the Trevor Lawrence, that pairing has, I mean, it hasn't been announced to Trevor Lawrence, but it, it's, it has really energized. I mean, when you start seeing people wear the jerseys and the shirts, and what jerseys? I don't see the Lawrence jersey, but sort of Maurice Jones-Drew jersey. <laughs> um, what's the feeling in the league about Urban Meyer? I mean, it's just like he's a, been a college guy. He really hasn't been in the pros. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's been a college guy his whole career. Um, what's the feeling from the NFL people about his ability to step in and, uh, and run this uh, team? Well, Urban Meyer is no dummy because, you know, he didn't have to come back to coaching if he didn't want to. Uh, he had a good job over there at Fox, and he's accomplished so much in his coaching career. But it's a very appealing job, both as head coach and general manager. I mean, you're getting everyone who be believes, uh, you know, a, a game changer at quarterback. They've got a ton of salary cap money. They've got a lot of draft picks. I mean, this is, this is a, something that you can really build quickly. And, again, if Urban Meyer didn't see that, there's no way that he would have back and, and, and taken this job. So I would expect that Jacksonville has a chance to turn this thing around in a hurry. I mean, it's not like they were completely bare. They do have some good players. I mean, Miles Jack had under the radar one of the best seasons of any linebacker in the NFL this year. Uh, they have some guys that can make plays, but they're going to add a whole bunch more this offseason. I'm not expecting them to you know, necessarily make a huge run in, uh, next year, but, but look out for this team down the road, and, and I think that Urban Meyer has a chance to have a lot of success there. And before we let you go, I just the one question was, Philip Rivers, Hall of Famer or not Hall of Famer? I lean towards yes, he should be in the Hall of Fame. I, I just... He's obviously got all the numbers, and, and you know, if you look at the stats, he, he's worthy just on that alone. I know people will point to the playoffs and lack thereof of the Super Bowl, but you know, when I look at Philip Rivers and I call the number of his games going back to when he was in San Diego, he changed the game. I mean, he, he, the way that he attacked the line of scrimmage, 
called out defenses and audibled. He was a game changer. He he was ahead of his time in, in doing some of that stuff. I, I think that he, you know, changed the position in some ways. And then you can certainly point to Peyton Manning and the way that he controlled the line of scrimmage as well. But you know, Rivers was the ultimate gamer. He's got all the stats, and I would I would say that he yes should be in the Hall of Fame. Andrew, thank you so much for coming on. I know you're going to be covering golf for the rest of the year, but uh, I really appreciate you coming on and giving us this football insight on Iron Sports. So thanks a lot, Andrew, for coming on. All right, guys. Have a great night. Always great stuff from uh, Andrew Catalan here on Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel, and Mike Balsamo. So let's go back to Buffalo here. You guys talked about it a lot, but... I, I'm thinking after this performance, Ira, that I can't see, you know, the line right now for the Super Bowl is three points. I think it should be over seven. I, I, I The way that they played and just picked apart Buffalo so badly, I don't think anything can stop this team. I think Tampa Bay is going to stop them. I disagree with everybody. <laughs> I think this is going to be it. I might be delusional, but I like You've been I right the whole time. I don't think Tampa Bay is going to stop them, but I think they're going to stop them enough. I think there's only one team out there that could beat Kansas City. It's Tampa Bay. It's the defense that Tampa Bay has and the quarterback in Tom Brady. Other than that, Kansas City would roll would run away with this. And maybe the bad thing for rooting for Tampa Bay is it might be the thing that keeps Kansas City interested in this game. Remember, they're, it's the team, the only team in, that's beat them in a meaningful game, besides the Oakland or two one of the other teams mm. in the last three years, really, um, is Tom Brady. So they know that Tom Brady's on the other side of the ball. But I, I like the fact that I, we'll talk about this next week. We'll do a lot of going over the Super Bowl. But I, I, am, I am not confident, but I really f- I can see the path for Tampa Bay to beat Kansas City. Um, let's uh, let's go over to. Um, well, you want to stick with Buffalo for a little bit? We've got we about go, fifteen minutes left. We can go to. Yeah, let, let's go to UFC here. And this was a fight that um, you were very much looking forward to, and it turned out to be a good one. And I don't know if it's great for UFC in general. And I think that was one of your initial take takeaways. But either way, it was, it was an entertaining fight to watch. It's not great for the UFC at all. Um, and it's not great because everybody was trying to watch it. Now they had trouble getting the streaming working, and, and it, that's an issue with the Conor McGregor Dustin Poirier fight. But for, I guess, six and a half minutes of the fight, what excitement. I must held my breath the entire time. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was really, it, was, it, t- t- it delivered exactly what you want. And sometimes boxing matches don't do it, and sometimes UFCs don't do it. This did. Uh, remember, Poirier lost 2014 to Conor in the first round. And since then, Poirier's been 10-2. and two. He's beat Justin Gaethje, Eddie Alvarez, Max Holloway. He's only lost to really Khabib, who is the greatest fighter of all time. When you see these other fighters fight and you realize that Khabib destroyed everyone, these <laughs> other ones that we say are the greatest. I mean, he's like, the Bra- he's, he's like Brady who never lost a game. It's, that's a, what Khabib is. And then Connor really has not been fighting. He lost to Khabib. He had the Mayweather in 2018, the Mayweather fight. Then he beat Cowboy Cerrone a year ago, who's really just a middle, you know, middle of the road type of fighter. And when the line, I swear I should have bet this because the line came out as like he was a three to one favorite. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, Poirier looks good. It looks in whatever. And, and Connor comes in, hasn't wrestled. It hasn't done anything in a year. And I, so I was surprised when it, when it started. And and to describe what happened in the match is that Poirier comes out, Connor immediately wants to end this fast. He wants to get, he wants to, so he just attacks him immediately and he throws a punch and hits him. But, but Poirier was ready for it, it didn't let him get anything. And then Poirier then takes Connor down. And Poirier didn't want to wrestle. I think it surprised Connor to be on the ground. Connor didn't, it wasn't like whether well, they were grappled for like two minutes. No, Connor got off in about 15, 20 seconds. And then they go against the cage. And this is what he had against Cerrone, where McGregor's great at throwing these shoulder, where he just puts his shoulder and just 
throws it right into the Cerrone, and he won the fight that way. But Poirier was totally ready for that because he was blocking it and then throwing his shoulder back. And that was, and then they sort of the last like two minutes around, there's five minutes rounds. Really, what Connor was doing was they were trading punches, and Connor was hitting Poirier with good punches. And out of the crowd, there was a big crowd there that was going, this is in Abu Dhabi, was going nuts. And all Poirier was doing was hitting the legs, kicking the legs. I remember Muhammad Ali fought Isaiah Oki in an exhibition match one time. It was the same thing. Aoki was a wrestler and he kept kicking Ali's legs. And they said it almost ruined Ali's career because he just used the kicking and he wasn't really punching. And, and they was, there wasn't a decision in it, but it was an exhibition match. But it almost could have ruined Ali's entire career. But that's what happened. He kept kicking and the fans weren't realizing these kicks were causing with McGregor. Because then they came out the second round. Everyone gave the first round to McGregor to the second round. And the same thing happened. McGregor's hitting him. McGregor's punching and Poirier's doing some kicks. And then one time McGregor got Poirier's leg lifted up and looked like he was going to break his leg and Poirier was able to get out of that. But then you just could see that McGregor could not plant his foot. His leg was like said a dead leg. He couldn't move it. He was spread over. It was spread wide like a boxer. And then Poirier hit him. It wasn't even a good shot. It was like an average shot to the head. And McGregor just crumpled to the ground and then was over and just pounded. And you see all the memes, you know, where he's lying <laughs> on the ground and they put the, yeah. everything around. And it was over like that quick. I mean, it was like once he got knocked down. But I, the punch that knocked him down, I was watching the, we watched all day, all, all the other fights. Yeah, McGregor wasn't in take it. I mean, it's like the, the quote about Marvin Hagler. It's hard to hard to get ready to fight when you're sleeping in silk uh, sheets in the morning. <laughs> and, and it's like you know, get up at five in the morning. And maybe all the success and the hundreds of millions of billions of dollars really that McGregor's earned, he couldn't take that punch like that. Now, he said he had ring rust, but his leg, he, it could have broke his leg. He was on his crutches when he left. Um, but Poirier, you got to get him credit. I mean, just yeah. that was... People were not, I mean, being a three to one underdog in that to come in there and to have been for the last, since like whatever, seven, six years, knowing that you lost to this guy, have your chance to redemption and win it. And McGregor was gracious in defeat, too. I mean, he wasn't like against Khabib. They were fighting each other, throwing stuff. He's like, look, I got beat. He was a better. So I got to give him credit for how he, he actually stood in the ring and did an interview after that. But um, that was the big thing. And then there was one other fight that Michael Chandler. Played, fought against Dan Hooker, was billed as the co-main event, which I think is such a joke, but they call it a co-main event. But Chandler was a Missouri champion, uh, wrestling champion, and was at Bellator for the number of years, which is like the other fighting thing, mm -hmm. Bellator. And so the people said, felt like he didn't deserve to be in the UFC, he was whatever. Boy, he came in there and looked fantastic and great. And Dana White said, we have another a new star because what happens to McGregor? Because this is the issue is they really are, Khabib retired. McGregor doesn't look like he's a star anymore. Mm -hmm. So they need something that's going to move the needle on that. And, and hopefully maybe Chandler will be that person. But uh, I tell you what, Poirier fought. It was very exciting. Anything with McGregor is exciting. And I think he's going to still, the good thing about UFC is even after a loss, you can keep fighting. Now, if he loses again, that might be the end. But the point is, it was exciting for that one, that one five or seven minutes. No, absolutely it was. Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel, I'm Mike Balsamo. So, Ira, we didn't get really a chance to talk in depth about the new, I don't know, you want to call it super team? I don't know if it's <laughs> going to be. But James Harden is headed to the E. He's in the East already. And this was something me and you were together when this news kind of dropped. And you were like, poor Steve Nash. Like, Steve Nash should just retire now. <laughs> Quit the job because this is going to be a disaster. And right now, I don't know if this is going to work, Ira. It's looking a little sketchy. I don't need it's, – it's a disaster. This is the worst – this will go down as the worst trade in the history of <laughs> – I, I, it's just – to understand what the Nets gave up, they gave up the three first-round picks, 2022, 2024, 2026. 
And then in four years, that's because you're not allowed, the rule is you can't trade all your draft picks. So then for four more years, this is now the 2027, they're allowed to swap. So whatever pick the Nets have, if the Rockets have a better pick, they have to then switch around. Yeah. So it's unbelievable. So if the Nets in four years are terrible, they're not going to be using their pick. They're going to be drafting with the Rockets pick. So this is really, it's unheard of, seven years of picks. And plus the Rockets got another first round pick. But more important, again, on top of the picks, the Nets sent uh, Karis LeVert, who was their great young uh, guard, forward who, who was in the playoffs last year was scoring 40 a game he went to houston but then houston traded him to indianapolis for oladipo and they lost jared allen to cleveland who was their great young center so they lost their two best young players they lose and you're like well who do they have left and all their draft picks and remember james harden kyrie irving and kevin durant can only play for two they're, they're under contract for only this year and next it's over i just it's to me this was for a future-looking trade, this made no sense whatsoever. Um, Harden has been the MVP. He's an eight-time All-Star, six-time first MVP, but he's 31 years old. Um, he's a, And then Durant, uh, he played with Durant in 2012. And, but Harden wanted Dwight Howard. It didn't work out. He didn't work out with Chris Paul. And he didn't work out with Russell Westbrook. So he's proven he doesn't he work with anybody. He doesn't work with anybody. And then you put Durant, who's 32 years old. He's a six-time NBA first team MVP, two-times finals MVP, four-times scoring champion. Now, he played well with Westbrook. He played well with Curry and Klay Thompson. So Durant's proven that he's he can, a selfless player. He can, he can work. He can be. But that's the problem. That's the problem. Yeah, he's your best player. You want you, him to have the ball in his hands. You want him to have the ball. And then you have Kyrie Irving, who's 28. So they're 32 and 32. And Kyrie's 28. He's only been second team once in 13. Never first team NBA, which is uh, people were surprised. He has been a disaster for the Cavaliers, the Celtics, and Nets. He won his one title, which I said gives all the credit to LeBron James for winning that title. Because I feel like he won it with Kyrie, which is amazing. Because I can't believe anyone could win. But so the fact is, why this trade is a disaster. Three reasons. First, all the picks. You've just mortgaged your entire team. If you're going to win, but I said, if you're going to win a title to mortgage your team, that's okay. But, but you gave, this is the biggest mortgage I've ever seen. Like this is the big, you've traded away you all your young all players, in. everything. And then you're only for two years. And this is going to go on for another six years after that. But then you have no, this on defensively. This is one of the worst defensive teams you could ever imagine. Durant has coming off an Achilles tear injury. Now he's playing phenomenal this year. He could be MVP this year, but he's never been known as the great defender. And he really is now after Achilles, you can't expect him to be the yeah. star defender. James Harden does not play defense at all. Like <laughs> zilch. And Kyrie Irving doesn't even know what defense is. And then you have Joe, Joe Harris, who is great on their team and is a great shooter, but Joe Harris might be one of the slowest guys in the NBA. So you have him. And then DeAndre Jordan is their center now, who's 32 two years old and who's not DeAndre Jordan when he played at the Clippers and they're playing Jeff Green at 34 years old as your defensive stopper. This team, they gave up already. 122 to the Magic, 125 to Milwaukee. They lost to Cleveland by 147. They lost 125 and the and the Heat, heat went 124. I mean, this they're going to be giving up 130, 140 game and there's no way to stop that. But Forget the future. Forget the fact they have no defense. This hurts them offensively. And the reason is this. Because everything that's happening is going on is that Kyrie just knows one thing to do is shoot. He just shoots all the time. The la Against the Magic, he had no Kyrie, but then Harden Durant. But against Cleveland, Kyrie shot... 24 shots, Harden 14 points. Against Miami, when they all played in that game, Durant shot 11 times, Kyrie 17, Harden only shot eight times. The fact is, is that Kyrie is taking shots. You want Durant to shoot the ball. He's the best shooter. He's seven feet tall, can train threes, does everything. He's taking shots from Durant. Why would you do something that would take, Harden and Durant can play each other, play off each other, because the fact is that Harden passes the ball and has, gets an assist, and you can see that it could work. 
Kyrie in the lineup makes no sense whatsoever, and it's just going to take. But you're taking, you're hurting your offense, not helping it by letting by having him in the game. I, I think it's a complete and utter disaster. Now they're playing tonight against the Heat again, but on Monday, you know they beat Miami one twenty eight, one twenty four. You're like, oh, you're crazy, Ira. They beat the the Heat, but the Heat Bam had forty one points. Four, it was all because they have no one to stop him. <laughs> and I was mad that, that that the Heat just don't go inside. Like LeBron James, like people say, what's going to happen with LeBron and Anthony Davis go against them? And the, if they go against this team in the finals. They're going to win every game, like 150 to 110. How are they going to stop Anthony Davis? Like, this team has no defense whatsoever. They're not going to out. You just can't outscore people. And, you're again, you're having Kyrie's going to have one of these games where he's 8 for 30, and Durant's going to shoot 10 shots. It doesn't make any sense. It's stupid. And I think it's going to go down as one of the worst trades. And I think in a year or two, they're going to all one out. They're all going to leave. Oh, yeah. and, and then all these draft picks are gone, and all the young players are gone. And Jared Allen is great. I love Jared Allen. He's playing in Cleveland. And they could have traded. All they had to do was trade Levert for Eladipo, and then he brought Oladipo in instead of bringing in Harden, and this would have made sense. I, I just doesn't make any Oladipo sense. Oladipo would have fit the system much better. They'd be better off with an above-average point guard who distributes the ball, and instead of Harden, having an above-average shooter who plays defense. You don't need to be superstars, and this team would be better with just a guy who's a little bit above-average but does one thing well, as opposed to this, I don't know, Ira. And like you said, this is will screw the Nets completely because they're the ones who are going to be, you know, up the river after these guys all leave town. Uh, we love talking NBA here on Iron Sports, brought to you by the Lake Worth Gold Mine. Next time you're at the Lake Worth Gold Mine, pop in and talk to Daniel. He'll uh, talk your ear off about NBA action, just like we will. Iron Sports, true oldies channel. Ira, we we lost a legend um, this week, and it, it's one of the things where obviously I, I'm too young to have seen um, Hank Aaron play, but maybe it's just baseball. But these players just transcend generations and Hank Aaron's a name that's not going to be forgotten anytime soon. Uh, not to be forgotten, he, he, as I said, we're going to have next week, we're going to spend more time, we're going to have Dal Maxfell on, um, who played with him, and he, Dal played in St. Louis, and they played over about a dozen years against each other, and then Dal actually was coach at the Braves and worked with, became good friends with him, so we're going to have him on, do an interview, talked about Hank Aaron. Uh, Hank Aaron was known, I mean, there's a Hank Aaron Drive right by where I live, mm -hmm. and, and on uh, where the, the outlet store malls are, and because he used to play his minor league games there, and uh it, uh, it was like, it's a, it's a tragedy, but he was one of the classiest players. He went uh, just tremendous in terms of his, just everything about him. Everybody loved playing with him. Uh, and it, it, again, the, the home run, what he broke. To, to think that he was able, in the time when he did it, to break Babe Ruth's record, the, the record that people thought was completely unbreakable, yeah. um, and deal with the abuse that he dealt with, but in just a, a very professional and classy way, uh, just was amazing. And he, he transcended everything. And, and, and it was like one of those things where people have to realize he still has the most RBIs ever hit in baseball, the most bases ever hit in, in baseball. I mean, it, it's not just when we talk about Hall of Famers and you use that term, I mean, Hank Aaron is, he's in his own, he's in the wing of where all the, of the great of the greats. And it was a pleasure. I saw him play one game. I saw him play like the All-Star game in, in Pittsburgh when I was real little. I think it was 74, 76. I was way up in the outfield. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, there's Hank Aaron out there. And isn't that amazing? And I'm certain that was the end of his career. I mean, 25 All-Star games uh, over 23 seasons. But uh, just it, it, again, and, and, we're, and I'd love to get someone around him because I know that he was very impactful into the youth programs here in West Palm Beach and uh, people know him and he's touched so many people. I, I, there's people I ran into like, they're like, oh, I ran and he was so nice and talked to me for 10 minutes and what a great individual, what a great player, uh, just a tremendous loss for the, the world and for baseball. Yeah, he was just as much an ambassador for the game as he was arguably the greatest player ever. So uh, Hank Aaron will be missed. Ira, just before we wrap it up, 
Got some Hall of Fame votes probably coming in, and I think we got one uh, that's going to be definitely a lock here. No, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. They're, so this year, the Tuesday, they're going to decide it. And Schilling last year, Kurt Schilling, the pitcher of the, of the Diamondbacks and the Phillies and the Red Sox, one of the greatest postseason pitchers of all time, who should have been in first ballot. Yeah. It's ridiculous. But has is at 70% last year, so people think he's right on the cusp. Now, politically, there's some issues in terms of his views. But again, there's a point where between Pete, we cannot just keep everybody out of the Hall of Fame for different reasons that are all the best, or it's not going to make sense. Clemens is at 61%, and Bonds was at 60% the last time. Are they going to get to that 75% level to get inducted? Um, the new people that are up for this year, they might not even get the 5%. You have Tim Hudson, Mark Burley, Tory Hunter, uh, I.J. Burnett, Nick Swisher. So this is the one year where people that are on the ballot. Now, remember, last year, Derek Jeter got in, Ted Simmons got in, Larry Walker got mm-hmm. in, but they haven't been. They haven't had the ceremony yet, but there's a chance that, I mean, if Schilling doesn't get 75% or whatever, then there would just be uh, Jeter, Simmons, and Walker in, but it'll be, I mean, next year even, uh, Ortiz is up, but then there's a point is, what did Ortiz, like they're tainted by the scandal, and the following year, A-Rod is up. I mean, or A-Rod's actually next year too. I mean, there's got to be a point with the steroids where I think, I, mean, I think you got to put Clemens and Bonds in. Like this is because we're we're arguing. You know, someone will come out and say, "Well, Ortiz used it, but he's not in it." But A. Rod didn't, and this and that. It just let these guys in. Like it, it, the Baseball Writers Association is is a joke, and I don't think real baseball fans put much credence into the Hall of Fame. I mean, the best best hitter of all time, Pete Rose, is not in the Hall of Fame. Harold Baines is in the Hall of Fame. The, one of the most just middle of the road guys I've ever seen play. So I don't put that much stock into it. I but I'm these guys excited. deserve to be in there. Yeah, but I'm going to see if Schilling can get in Clemens and see where the movement is. I mean, next year is are Clemens and Bonds going to get to like the 70%. So then the 10th year is the final year they're on the ballot. So that would be what happened would be the following year. So this should be interesting. Uh, Tuesday's going to be, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm really interested to see what happens. We are out of time. Thank you so much to Andrew Catalan of CBS Sports for popping by on behalf of Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on Sports.